Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Episode 15 of The Story Studio with your hosts, Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. It's a show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowdfunders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone looking to tell stories in the modern world. My name is Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by Luke Condor with a K, and our special guest Garrett Robinson with an R. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, Hi, guys. Hey, hey how's, how's it going? going? Um, so Garrett Robinson is from Legacy Books. He's the author of the best-selling Nightblade epic fantasy series, a heroic fantasy saga with tens of thousands of avid readers, and the Academy Journal's both set in the land of Underrealm. He's also a YouTube vlogger extraordinaire, filmmaker, and a big-time family man. And he's a cool guy. Oh, dude. How's that for an intro? That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. <laughs> you threw the yeah. extraordinaire in there. That's like, that's what's got me all like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I was going to put myself as Luke Condor, ordinaire. But, uh... <laughs> Can I be Daniel Wilcox? Nah. 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 Uh, <laughs> your thing. Uh, what are you guys been up to? What are you working on? What are you creating at the minute? Uh, Gary, what about you? Oh man, uh these days I am working on uh editing editing existing books and uh also planning for uh planning for the next new book because th- there's always a next new book. That's that that's the thing about life is there all there is always the next book to work on, which yeah. is great. What about you, Dan? Uh I am cracking on with edits for uh They Remain um which I think people probably get bored of at, at some point. It's every week it's just more edits, but Every yeah. week is kind of uh, teaching a new lesson. So I'm about, um, I'd probably say about 60, 65% through um, and learning about how if you make small changes in the beginning during a second draft, it can affect quite a lot later on. Which the isn't effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's going to serve the story a lot better. But um, yeah, it's, it's going really well. I'm at a point where the characters are really flowering and, and coming up nicely and blooming um and and the story's really starting to feel like it's hitting its stride now it's starting to get to a point where it feels like it knows what it is so yeah exciting doing doing that yeah. those kind of edits and i'm basically doing the opposite of you the same but the other book yeah, yeah. um I, yeah we, we talk about it every single week we say we're, we're doing more of the thing we were doing last week <laughs> what it is. we're just, we're just yeah. further along yeah, Garrett, you recently moved from LA, right? To yes. Where else did you move to? Uh, Oregon. I moved into a small a small town called uh, Lafayette, which is just south of Portland. Uh, so yeah. if anybody knows Oregon, they probably know Portland. And um, yeah, finally got out of Los Angeles. I literally lived my entire life in that city. Uh, you know, other than other than traveling, but I've never I've never had permanent residence anywhere else. And you know, I'm I'm here. It's the end of November, and winter is almost you you could say winter is coming and <laughs> i was waiting for it yeah there's no los angeles doesn't have winter i've never had this before i've never had places where you know the leaves change and it gets cold and it, it rains all the time it's great i love it you you get used to it pretty quickly i'll tell you in manchester <laughs> we had a sunny we had a sunny morning and i was like this is amazing the sun oh and it's raining again 
Was that today? <laughs> Always raining. Yeah, it was today. Yeah. Yeah, we we had exactly the same here. It was glorious yeah. in the morning, and then it just shut it down. So I, I actually do like having weather. I like that it gets. <laughs> it, it makes you appreciate the sunny days a lot more. Yeah. Uh, it's bit like when spring starts, it's my favorite season because you're cold for so long, and you walk outside, the sun's out, and you press your face into it. It's beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. People keep saying, "Oh man, you'll get you'll get sick of Oregon weather real quick," and I'm I'm waiting. I, I it hasn't happened yet. I, I I still love it. They keep every time they see me, they're like, "Okay, you sick of the rain yet? You sick of?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> you don't understand." Thirty years, thirty years, yeah. I've been living in a place that's always hot and always sweaty and always. Just, ugh, I, I I I like it, and I think it's yeah. going to be a while before I get tired of it. It's weird, What's the coldest it gets in LA? I mean, you know, one time in my life it got below freezing. Right. One time in my life. That's it. Uh, it never snows. It rains four days out of the year. Um, most of the time, an average like cold snap is like uh, and of course, this is uh, Fahrenheit because I'm, I'm sure that you guys are, are on Celsius. Um, but, you know, most of the time, a, a really cold night is 55 degrees Celsius, which is uh, uh, sorry, Fahrenheit, which is like um uh, let me see if I can do this. About like 20 degree, no, 15 degrees <laughs> That sounds pretty Celsius? warm. That's a nice day. Yeah. That's like summer. Yeah. 10, 10, 15 degrees Celsius, I think, somewhere in, in, in that range. Okay. It's weird because I know a lot of writers who like desperately want to move to LA. Yeah, I don't course. know many writers who want to move out. But I mean, is, is, I'm guessing the quality of life is, is better, but it's quieter. Um, you find it helping your writing? Absolutely. Yeah, I can, you know, in, in Los Angeles, you go for a walk and you feel like you're smoking a cigarette because it's so dirty and the air is so, you know, filthy and everything. Up here, yeah. I go for a walk and I walk for five minutes and I'm in farmland, you know, I'm out mm -hmm. walking brilliant green rolling hills. I mean, it looks like a it looks like a fantasy novel up here, you know, as soon as you get away from the homes that are obviously very modern, you are in forests and green rolling hills and it's just it, it it's really incredible and like you said the quality of life is amazing um right down the road is a town called mcminnville which is basically like for anybody who is familiar with los angeles mcminnville is like if you took silver lake which is this total like little hipster district and you removed it from los angeles and you just had it be its own town so there's lots of crazy kooky little restaurants with lots of great craft beer on tap there's all these bars with tremendous personality there's a big art community there um it really is it really is a pretty amazing magical place honestly not to make it sound too frou-frou but it's it's pretty frou-frou i think uh, that'd be my big worry about moving to out of a city into like my hometown is mansfield which is a tiny little town is is that you sort of feel like you're gonna lose out on the culture like the art culture and and the artisan culture but it sounds like you've Sounds like you're on a good one. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely pretty great, and I think that that's definitely true. Um, I think that you can miss out on that, and and there certainly was an art uh, community in Los Angeles, but it's as an art community, it can be hard to access, especially if you have a family, right? So for us to have the sort of house with the sort of space that we wanted for our kids and to be able to afford that, we had to live so far out of the center of the city that it was an hour and a half drive to get to where the artists would hang out, right? Well, yeah. it takes me an hour and 10 minutes to drive to Portland, to right into the middle of Portland. And meanwhile, and you can go to Portland if you want to hang out at like the cool bars and the cool cafes and stuff. But right here, you know, there are there are people who do photography, there are filmmakers, there are other writers, and it's all it's all right here in this this sort of community. So we we had to look hard to to find, you know, this place. But um, I really do think they exist. You know, the outskirts of Austin mm. is another great place. That was another place we were thinking about moving is the outskirts of Austin. You're not in the city, but Austin has so much art and so much creativity going on in it. Without all of Los Angeles's like cutthroat, um, you know, cynicism and and all that sort of thing, I'm 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 kind of at a stage in my life where I'm very over cynicism, um, yeah. especially with things that are going on in the world today. It's very easy to be cynical, and I I need I need a break from that. I need I live that stuff day in day out, and I need I need to surround myself with people who believe that things can be a little bit better than they are. Yeah, so, so you're happy. 
Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent happy with the move. Kids are in a great school, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Sorry, Dan, what were you about to say? No, I was just going to say. So it's a lot more of a, an easy, accessible art culture. It's less, like you say, cutthroat. It's more. Um, I guess respect in smaller communities, you tend to find that people are a lot more respectful and encouraging. And it's the same. I live in um, Lincoln in, in England and I kind of uh, it's that balance between small city and, and rural county. And it's everyone's just supportive. Everyone's just no one's showing each other's toes. They're just it's just a nice place to be. Yeah, I don't think anybody goes to McMinnville thinking that that's where they're going to become the next Steven Spielberg. You know what I mean? And when that's yeah. what everybody in Los Angeles is trying to do, there can only, there can be only one Steven Spielberg, you know? So they all, everybody goes all Highlander about it and they feel like they're competing with each other. <laughs> Whereas, you know, here in Lafayette and McMinnville, people legitimately just sit down and they go, how can I paint a better painting? How can I write a better book? What, who can I talk to about how to do it all uh, better? And, it, it, you know, again, I don't want to I don't want to completely trash Los, trash Los Angeles. It, there are a lot of people there who do just care about being creative and, and doing what they love. And I was part of a community of amazing filmmakers who that that is their deal. They want to make film, make better film. And they're all great people who are awesome to work with. Um they just aren't the norm. Like that group formed because everyone in it was so sick of the way that Los Angeles is more generally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We should probably move on to big whoops soon. So oh, what a big group. Dan, have you got anything you've seen done? Smell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely smell, but I'll, I'll say that for another time. But um, no, my, my big whoop for the week will be, um, have you guys heard of, I mean, I presume Garrett probably will more than you, Luke, uh, Hamilton. Oh my God, I, have I? I've listened to it. I've listened to it. And I know it's opening in London soon, so I'm going to go watch it. This this is my thing. So I'm trying to find a way to to get myself tickets because I've kind of, um, my partner's dad's girlfriend introduced me to it a couple of months ago, just like a couple of videos of, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda at the White House doing his thing. And it's only the last week I've literally put on this track about, well, the album, just too many times to count, but I'm kind of being nice to myself. Um, well, I should probably just explain to people who don't know what it is, what it is, but it's basically a uh, musical show that is kind of taken America by storm, if I'm right in saying that. It's one You're of the absolutely correct. awards. <laughs> and um, it's based around the one of, was he a founding father? He was, yes. He was, yeah. Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers uh, who you can find on the $10 bill. And just his life and his journey kind of put into hip hop and music and R&B and dance and it just... It's, it seems like a very modern um, contemporary take on what is essentially an overlooked story. And not only is the story kind of just grabbing um, from my heart, I don't know why, I just seem to really, really be attracted to the story, but the music in it is phenomenal and it's got so rapping good. and I'm just a, a massive fan of rap. And But the only thing, um, so I've only listened to the first three tracks from the album because I don't want to ruin the show. You want to savor it? No, no, no. No, I will tell you this. And this was told to me by somebody else before I ever listened to Hamilton. You should listen to the entire thing as often as you possibly can, because what you don't want, and this is how it was described to me, what you don't want is you don't want to go to the show and be sitting in the audience and be trying to interpret what they're trying to understand okay. what they're saying. Right. Okay. You want to know what they're saying so that you can see how they perform around what they're saying. Now, I haven't seen the show yet myself, but I said I gave the exact same reason that you gave. And they were like, no, no, no. You want to know the words forwards and backwards so that when you see what they do with the words, with the lines of dialogue, you you can you can interpret it that way. Because the other thing is that you will probably hear cheering and you will probably hear people singing along and you will probably there will probably be well I know it's London and I know that's a little bit less cool over in the UK, but when you have, uh, when you have, oh, happiness. It, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> reacting during the, the performance yeah. in the movie. I know that it's, it's not quite as much of a cultural thing there, but here you won't be able to understand the words. So, you know, the guy playing Hamilton will say a thing and everybody will stand up and cheer and you'll be like, I don't, I, what did he say? I don't know. <laughs> I can't understand yeah. what's, so that, that would be my personal recommendation. Okay. I guess there's something in that. Cause um, I, I went to go see Wicked with my partner and she made me listen to the entire soundtrack before that. 
And there were elements of those songs where as it came to the show, you kind of interpret more and you understand more about what's behind the text. And I'll always remember, have, you, have any of you guys seen Wicked? No. I, a, oh, I know no, what I have not. Yeah, yeah. So there's a line in there where it's basically a girl. She sings about how this guy won't go out there because she's in a chair. And I listened to this line and I was like, well, that seems really like out of order. Why wouldn't he go out with someone because they're in a chair? And you go and see the show and it's actually because she's in a wheelchair. But bits uh, like that you yeah. kind of miss oh, out on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes a bit more sense. But not yeah. that I have anything against that. Um, so one of my favorite memories in London was uh, going to see the Book of Mormon. And yes. I knew that soundtrack pretty much back to front. But being there and seeing it and seeing the way they told the jokes and the way they interpreted jokes was what made it, I think. It's such a... I, I'm jealous I really want to go see Hamilton as well. I mm. think I'm a bit of a musical lover, but I've not seen enough. We should go together, Luke. Yeah. Gary, do you want to come to the UK? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Along, oh, man. Yeah, that's the other thing is now that we're here, uh, you know, things are so much, so much less expensive than they were in Los Angeles. Like, we are thinking that we can start traveling uh sort of sort of again for me but you know really for the first time with Megan and, and we're looking forward to it. so I'll I'll come out I'll watch Hamilton with you guys in London that'd be great yeah that'd awesome. be awesome uh Gary have you got a, a, a big whoop that you want to share with us <laughs> well I'll I'll actually I'll I'll jump off of that and say that uh Lynn Manuel uh Miranda the guy who wrote Hamilton is releasing over time uh what's called the Hamilton mixtape. And so it's songs from the play and they are remixed and performed by really big contemporary music artists. Like Sia has a track on there. Uh, Busta Rhymes has a track on there. Not the biggest contemporary <laughs> music artist, but you know, we, we know who he is. Uh, and it's uh, Kelly Clarkson has a song. It's really, really great. Uh, I actually don't like any of the remixes as much as the original, which is weird because I don't generally like musical theater and I do generally like rap and hip hop, but the original really got to me in a way, but, but the, the, the mixes and everything are really great, really fantastic. I'm now learning sort of the new words, the way a lot of the songs are the same, but a lot of them are, you know, mm -hmm. rap remixes and everything like that. So I'm, I'm learning the new words and everything. So if you enjoy, if you're out there listening and you enjoy Hamilton, you will probably enjoy the Hamilton mixtape as well. Cool. Um, mine's a bit of a, like a, a selfish one. Um, <laughs> uh, the other stories hit two hundred thousand downloads, which is a bit of a, a nice milestone to hit. Nice. Um, it's one of those cool things where you start something like that, like a little project, and it wasn't even supposed to be a podcast. It was just going to be like a little short story collection we did. But then it just sort of takes off. You know, you find its own little fan base, and it, it sort of becomes its own monster. And uh, I just want to, I want to drink a bit of coffee to uh, the two hundred thousand downloads. Yes. I'll have some black currant squash. I have Lovely. zero liquids around me, but you know, <laughs> salad. Well some saliva. <laughs> I will. I will say that I am. You know, however many episodes of it there are, I'm that. I'm that many downloads. I'm a listener. Oh really? Oh wicked. Hey. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so speaking of writing and publishing, um, <laughs> so go. Uh, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about like um, what was the first story you published and. Um, and we'll go from there and just see where we go. Yeah. So the the first story I published was a sort of little uh, psychological, almost well, yeah, psychological sort of sci-fi thriller, but contemporary. It wasn't. It's not space opera or anything like that. Uh, it was called uh, the the Touch Trilogy, and it was a small trilogy of novellas. And it was uh, about a girl living in Los Angeles, and she has this power that she doesn't understand where when she touches people's skin she can see their thoughts and it is uh it, it's not a, it's not very pleasant it's very sort of uh invasive and everything like that and this was an idea that i'd had for a movie that i'd originally written as a screenplay because before i was an author i was uh, uh a working film person who was trying to become a filmmaker you know i was working on crews and everything like that but i wanted to and and still want to direct and it's basically impossible to become a film director. You know, it just is statistically yeah. uh, not really a thing that you can just sort of do. Um, so when I started writing, I started with the intention of turning my screenplays and my film ideas into books that I would then turn into bestsellers that I would then walk into a film pitch meeting and be like, I have a script that's based on a bestselling book. 
that I also have the rights to because I wrote it. And that, that is very attractive, you know, to a film producer. So, uh, so that was my first, uh, that was my first story that, uh, that was based off of a script that I had already written. And it did more, way more than I thought it was going to. And that was sort of how the whole thing began. Are you, uh, like, could you read it? Are you happy to read it now? Or when you look back at that, the way? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Um, so, so you're a film screenwriter originally, uh, yes. or is that how you got into writing or how no. did you start? when did you first put pen to paper to tell a story? Yeah. The first, first put pen to paper was I was a teenager and I was writing, uh, uh, Warhammer 40,000 fan fiction. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. That did was, you play? Uh, I played uh, Blood Angels originally, but then I got really into Speed Freaks. But all of my fan fiction was Blood Angels. I mean, Mephisto is basically the greatest character in Warhammer 40k. Uh, mm. So I wrote so many stories about Mephisto, uh, and and Tychus was in there, and uh, and yeah, I was uh, I was a little bit crazy about uh, 40k. I I spent. Many thousands of dollars of my parents' money uh, on on figures and everything, and I was I was kind of into it. I think I wrote, I think I added it up one time, and I think I wrote about um, half a million words while I was in high school of fan fiction. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, which is only which was only marginally, uh, you know, better than uh, than. It, I, I'm losing the metaphor, but it wasn't good. It was all bad. It was all very very bad. <laughs> but still, that's half a million words of practice, you know. Yeah, is that where some of your inspiration comes from? Because I know that you tend to center around fantasy now. Yeah, did it all kind of originate from the Warhammer? I mean, i i was I was always much bigger into Warhammer 40k than Warhammer mm -hmm. Fantasy. Um, so, I mean, my 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 thing with fantasy starts when you know I read The Hobbit for the first time, and I think my dad gave me that when I was eight. Uh, and then he gave me Lord of the Rings when I was 11 and I, I still have the copy that he gave me. It's a big old single volume hardcover. You guys can see it here, but I, oh, nice. I know nice. the audio listeners won't be yeah. able to listen. This is, this is the same copy. And ever since he gave it to me when I was 11, I've read it once a year ever since. So I've read it, I've read it almost two dozen times. Well, I've, I've read it about 19, 20 times now. Um, and I, I, I just, I'm obsessed with it. I, I think that it, is something that will never be matched if for no other reason than it was the first of its kind. You know what I mean? Yeah. There will, yeah. there, I, I don't think there will ever be a better fantasy book, uh, than Lord of the Rings. I think that, I think that we can only try to take it and take it to like the next level. But when people claim it used to, it used to really tick me off when I saw on the cover of the Wheel of Time, um, you know, the first book in the Wheel of Time series, which was Eye of the World, was it? But mm. right on there, on the front cover, it says, like, better than Tolkien. I was like, no, screw you. Like, screw you. You literally can't write <laughs> a fantasy book that's better than Tolkien because the book wouldn't exist without Tolkien. You know what I mean? So was I that don't know. the tagline? It's a strange tagline. Yeah. I feel like if you're in a theater now, everyone would just get up and just go... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think that it was uh it was like a it was a blurb right like some other author had said that and they were just and so they just go oh well we're just quoting somebody who said that and it's like yeah. well screw yeah. you but of course i now use that marketing tactic myself i run facebook ads where the the, <laughs> the line is you know like better than robert jordan and it says you know down below that like this amazon reviewer said that these books are better than robert jordan and i'm like hey i'm just quoting i'm just <laughs> quoting somebody you know that's just what they said no would you say that it's like um the first miles uh, publishing the the trilogy of novellas that would be like the first milestone in your in your publishing i'm going to call it empire now you're publishing empire <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the first thing that I ever published that made any that that earned any money whatsoever. Um, and it, it's the sort of thing where I published it, and in that first month, I think I earned three hundred dollars, which is not that's that's not that's not a career at all. But when I was expecting it to make like twenty dollars, that was mm. to me that was amazing. That was incredible. So what that, do, what do you think hit the success for that? What do you think it was that made that original surge? I mean, I come from a uh, middle-class white family in America, so I just happen to know lots of people who, when I put out a book and I say it's $3, you know, 
a hundred people will go and buy it because that's not that's not a big deal to them and they want to show i know that everybody who bought touch when i first published it didn't they i know they didn't read it you know uh and at the time i was okay with that at the time that was most of my marketing was talking to friends and family and it wasn't until i realized oh no i need to find actual people who read books uh that i actually started to you know be able to make a living at it yeah uh well so so you published those and then uh there was non-zombie yeah. uh, which was that the one after that or yeah and that was that yeah. was a um like a random idea so was it another garrett had that idea <laughs> or how did that work it was a gareth so at the garrett. time uh at the well I, n not just at the time i still listen to the self-publishing podcast and uh, i used to um i used to write in and, and leave voicemails for them all the time and there was somebody else who called in and left a voicemail or maybe sent them an email i don't remember and they came up with the idea of a zombie that I think they just came up with the idea of a zombie that retained its intelligence after becoming a zombie. And I had always said that I would never write a zombie book. And I was at the time, like at that time, I was thinking, let's never say never. And let's try to like test ourselves as an artist and find a zombie story that we could write. And so I heard that, uh, that idea. And when it was given, it was very explicitly said in the email if uh, in the voicemail, if you or somebody else wants to write this, go ahead, because I never actually will. So I took that idea and then I took Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead, which are movies that I love. Fantastic and I was like, yeah. yeah. So I said, yeah. OK, so let's write a story because it would be very easy to take that same premise and write it as a very serious, very horror story. But I don't like that. I don't like horror. I don't like zombies. I don't like any. I, I, I just that's not my thing, which. I don't understand why I continue to listen to your podcast, The Other Stories, because that clearly says <laughs> that I do like is, horror. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so th that's just not my thing. It's not my genre. Um, but I decided if I I could write a horror comedy, and so I did, and so I wrote Non-Zombie. It was a lot of fun. It just wasn't it wasn't fun enough to make me keep going in that direction. I was like, okay, I did that. It was fun. Let me keep experimenting and and find what I actually want to do. I think your just your ability to uh, just test the water, feel confident in 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 doing that, and and just trying things is is possibly one of the things that that's helped you towards your uh, success you have today. I mean, if you'd agree with that, I don't know, but um, yeah, just because I've been watching your, I remember when you were just just published Nightblade episode one, I think it was called at the time, yeah. and now it's just it's just been lovely to see. The, the changes you've made, the uh, the, the different covers, the new editing, the, the way you've brought out like uh, five or six more books since then in that series. It's kind of crazy to see. And I think that, do you, would you put that down to your just ability to just publish and write and publish and just, just um, keep iterating, <laughs> for lack of a better term, iterating and, op and optimizing to, to the success you've had? Yeah, I I think that, and this is what I, this is what I tell, I like this is, um, this is the number one piece of advice that I give people who are just starting out, not just in writing, but really in anything artistic is, um, one, you, you have to, like, the first thing is you have to acknowledge that, um, that there is a business side of it. If you try and, if you try and say, oh, I don't want to do the business side, well, then, like, fine. You, you, I mean, that just means that you won't be successful. Whether you want to be traditionally published or whether you want to be, uh, independently published, if you want to publish yourself, there is a business side to it. And people love to pretend that if you get traditionally published, then like you don't have to worry about the business side of it. Well, if you get traditionally published and you don't worry about the business side of it, you will not be successful, right? Like you still most of the time have to do most of your own marketing and getting into traditional publishing is the business side of it. You have to network, you have to meet people, you have to know how to promote yourself to, you just have to promote yourself to an agent, an editor and a publisher rather than the actual people who are going to read your book. Um, so, th so that's one thing is, is acknowledging that no matter what, if you want to be a successful artist, you have to acknowledge the business side of it. And then two is study every single thing you can get your hands on about how to do it and try everything and not everything will work, but 
only by trying everything will you find the things that do work for you. For example, blogging doesn't work for me. Uh, Twitter as a promotional vehicle doesn't work for me. That doesn't mean they don't work. That just means they don't work for me. Email works for me and YouTube works for me. Um, as well as, um, as well as, you know, like continuing to, but like, Nonfiction doesn't work for me at all. Obviously, nonfiction works great for the self-publishing podcast guys. You know, that is the foundation of their success is the self-publishing podcast. Same with Joanna Penn. She was, you know, they, they both, both of them, the, both the self-publishing uh, podcast guys and Joanna Penn found success as fiction authors, turned that into nonfiction, and then nonfiction was like their springboard. And of course, mm -hmm. my early business model was do literally whatever Johnny, Sean, and Dave are doing. So I tried to form a nonfiction podcast. I tried to get in on that game, but I don't like that game. I don't have any fun with it and I don't bring anything good or new to it. So I, so I abandoned that and I, I don't, I don't plan on, on continuing to go that route. I only want to, uh, continue doing the fiction and doing my business side of it, which doesn't include necessarily, you know, um, uh, becoming a, becoming an instructor. If anything, I want to be a mentor, not an instructor. And I think that there is a very sort of key difference between those things. So we, we were talking about that, uh, before you yeah, before yeah. managed to get on with your carrot. We like, if we do find any success for anything, I don't want to be spending my time instructing and teaching people. I just want to be writing good stories and making films and, and that sort of thing. I don't, I think you're very in line with our thinking in that, I think. Yeah. Just creating worlds, yeah. 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 I, I, and I don't actually mind the, how do I put this? I don't mind, I guess I don't mind teaching a person. I do mind teaching people. And that's the difference to me is, is the, 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 the podcast thing. That's not appealing to me. Writing a book about how to write and publish, that's not appealing to me. But I do have, uh, I, I know Luke, you know about it. Um, I do have my Writer Wednesday thing. That hmm. is me specifically, that's talking to a person. Like every, uh, what I want that series to be is every single video is a person who's like, dude, here's the specifics of my situation. What do I do? And I answer that person and hopefully, that helps more people than just that person. Hopefully other people glean information and learning from that. But I want to work with a person with a specific rather than I don't want to write another indie publishing 101 book because those books are freaking everywhere. We don't need another yeah. one. I can't bring yeah. anything new to that space, but I can help one person. You get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's interesting. Oh, sorry, Dan, go on. I was going to say, it's interesting that you you found that point where you know what works for you and you know what doesn't. And it's one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with. And I know that part of the reason, and I feel almost bad saying this, part of the reason that I, I hadn't got around to reading any of your fantasy books. I mean, I'm a massive fan of fantasy. I'm, I'm huge on Tolkien. Um, I've watched it last year. I was reading some Peter V. Brett and some of the painted man. And just, I, I, when I got into writing, it was all about writing fantasy, but I write better in horror. So I find that I force myself, not force myself, but make sure that I'm reading horror so that I can kind of keep those ideas fresh, keep that kind of rhythm going and get familiar with the genre. Right. And it's only sort of this week that I've got into your Nightblade series. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I downloaded it and started reading it to kind of give myself a bit more of an outside perspective of the things that I write in. Um, but I was, I was going to say, your, so when Nightblade was originally published, it came out as episode one. Yeah. Did you originally know at that point it was going to be a series? I mean, do you have an idea of how long it's going to be? How how far you're going to stretch the the story now? Yeah, I mean the the so the idea for Nightblade uh, happened when I had just spent eight months writing uh, my book Rebel Yell, and Rebel Yell is straight up genreless, what you would call literary fiction. It's sent in. It's set in contemporary times. It is written about there. There is no horror. There is no sci-fi. It is literally just a novel written to make a point about something that I was that I was observing. And I am still, in terms of, uh, in terms of the writing itself, the analogies, the story, and and the point I was trying to make. I'm actually still prouder of Rebel Yell than than anything else that I've ever done. It's just that I can't. I can't write. Rebel yell every time. You know what I mean? I'm yes. just starting to get another idea for my next book that I want to do like that. Um, yeah. and I'm, and, and that idea is, uh, has maybe been catalyzed by certain world events, which we won't get into, but <laughs> I, I can't do that every single time. Um, so, so I had just finished Rebel Yell. It was getting ready for publishing. I was exhausted and I wasn't feeling very great about myself. And my wife pointed out that I used to write like a crazy person and publish all the time, all the time, because before Rebel Yell, I had been writing another fantasy series that had been serialized and episodic. And so I was releasing an episode, you know, every few weeks or every week when I was in the, in the thick of it. And she said, yeah, you need to get, you need to get back to getting things done so that you feel good about the things that you've accomplished because you've gone eight months without, without accomplishing anything, not a not, not that you haven't done anything, but you haven't gotten a done. So I said, you're right. And I sat down with the night blade with, with, I sat down with this idea that I'd been stewing on. This is actually Underrealm is actually my oldest story idea. It was a film idea. Then it was a series idea that I was going to try and shoot myself. Um, and then it was this thing. When I first started writing, I sat down and I tried to write the first Underrealm book. I got 10,000 words in and I was like, this is terrible. This is so bad. It's so bad. I'm not ready to do this yet. So I wrote Touch, which was a much simpler story. I wrote Non-Zombie. I wrote Realm Keepers. Uh, I, uh, sorry, I wrote Touch. I wrote Non-Zombie. I wrote Hit Girls. I tried to write the first Underrealm book again. And I was like, no, this is still really bad. Uh, then I wrote Realm Keepers. I wrote, uh, I wrote Rebel Yell. And then I started right. And then, and then I came to this point and Megan, my wife was like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta start producing. And so I gave Underrealm another crack and I wasn't ready yet. I, I knew I still wasn't ready yet to write the big story. And so I decided to take a much smaller story set in the same world and start with that. And that's when I came up with Lauren, the dagger, the whole plot line, the, the, the general idea of the whole plot line. And when, and the more I thought about it and the more I related her story to the bigger story that I wanted to tell, the more I realized I couldn't just have a series of five or six books and, and be done with it. I wanted to tell the story of the life of someone in Underrealm. And that is why the, the, the name of the series being the Nightblade epic is very deliberate. It's not, it's, it, it really isn't the Nightblade series because epic used, used to mean something as a noun. Like everybody uses it as an adjective now. Oh, that movie was epic. Oh, that book was epic. That story was so epic. That's not what epic meant. Uh, one of the first fantasy stories, one of the first stories period ever told is the epic of Gilgamesh. And that story is literally his entire life. It's, it begins with his birth and it ends with his death, you know? 
Um, the Odyssey is an epic. The Iliad and the Odyssey together are an epic. And the Iliad tells the story of years and lots of things happening. And the Odyssey tells the story of years. And it follows Odysseus almost all the way to the end of his life. And to me, that is, that is Nightblade. So the, the, the Nightblade epic begins the story of Underrealm only because it's the first story that I'm telling in the world. But it's going to continue. It's going to go on. Other stories in Underrealm are, are, are happening. The Academy Journals, other series that are going to be coming out in the future. All of those are going to be series. And at some point they will end, but Nightblade will go on. I plan to keep writing that until, until the end of the, the, the life of the main character. Um, and that is so exciting to me. Like, that got me so pumped and excited to create this world that she was going to exist in and, and to create her as a character and to um just sort of just sort of put it all together. And that that has been the impetus for everything that has come since. Yeah. So after you published episode one, um were you feeling that sense of accomplishment again? Were you writing as, as fast and as crazily as you were before? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was getting really I was I was just really excited about the potential of it, you know what I mean? And and it was um it was not originally the plan to have so many series uh set in Underrealm. And that uh that happened just as I was finishing Nightblade when I came up with uh it 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 came up in developing the world because uh near the end of Nightblade I was I was starting to plan for the next book. I was starting to set things in motion at the end of Nightblade for the next book and that was when I came up with the Academy, which is where wizards learn how to be wizards. And as soon as I came up with the Academy, I knew that I wanted to explore it. But it didn't make sense for Lauren to explore it. She's not a wizard. Like, what the hell would she do there? So that mm. was when I came up with the idea for the Academy journals. And then I started coming up with uh, with other creatures that live in Underrealm and the mystical side of things and monsters and all that sort of thing. And that's when I came up with the series of, of Tales of the Wanderer, which is the third Underrealm series that's going to launch and everything. And, and so that's sort of how it, how it grew from there. And it was, it was sometime during the middle of Mystic that I realized that I wanted to bring in other authors and other creatives into the world too. And now that is finally a thing that's happening. And I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. We really are creating like our own little like Marvel universe for fantasy. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> yeah. That, that does do, you sound to, very, very cool. do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Cause that sounds just like a fantastic, I, I guess, experiment in a way, but, I mean, how are you kind of approaching it? Are you setting parameters that these people are going to exist in, or are you kind of just saying this is the world run free? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to do a combination of both. So I'm. I you guys are. I I know you guys are pretty big comic fans, but are you are you Marvel fans specifically? Are you like aware of what Marvel? Has so I'm. I'm a. Uh, I'm a Marvel person. I recently got into a bit more DC, but I'm completely Marvel free through and have been for years. So yes. I I appreciate Marvel, but I'm not thorough. Okay. <laughs> so. Marvel has a guy, I think he's, I forget what his post is exactly, but his name is Brian Michael Bendis, and he is a comic mm. creator, and he yeah. is, he is the guy behind all of the best stuff Marvel has done for, for years and years now. Uh, for those who don't know, you know, the, the, the movie Captain America Civil War is based off of one of Bendis's early accomplishments, which is the Civil War storyline in Marvel Comics. And this, and, and that was him going, okay, this big universe shattering thing is going to happen. And we are going to build everyone's storylines towards it. So the Spider-Man team, the people writing Spider-Man were still free to create their Spider-Man storylines, but Bendis sat them down and he was like, here's where we're going. And here's what your stories need to point to. Like, we need to have things in your stories that lead to Civil War. And he did the same thing with Captain America, Iron Man, the Avengers, X-Men, everybody. Everybody was mm -hmm. pointing towards Civil War. So everybody still gets their own creativity, but it is everything also serves a larger narrative. So we now, I am now officially, okay, so there are three different uh, series now. Uh, one is, uh, gonna be written by a pair of authors writing under a pseudonym, and they are already coming up with their story idea. Like, that is actually happening right now. Um, with another author, uh, I am talking with her, and she, we are still in the earliest plages, uh, uh, stages, 
of her kind of deciding what her story is going to be at all. And then there's a third author who I basically am going to meet with decently soon and sort of, and sort of pitch the whole idea to him. He's a, he's a great writer. I've known him for a number of years and I, I really want him to uh, be a creator in there. So, and again, I want them, I, I'm trying to bring a diversity to the genre of fantasy that just frankly doesn't really exist. Um, you know, uh, none, none of the other writers, at least for a while, are straight white men like me, right? Because that's all fantasy is. That doesn't mean that the that doesn't mean that the authors are bad people or that they're prejudiced. I might I might have a personal opinion that Robert Jordan is, but whatever. That has nothing to do with it. Um, it's just that it's the exact same guys writing the exact same stories over and over again. I might fall yeah. prey to that myself a little bit, but I'm I'm at least trying. Like I recognize my own biases, and I'm trying. And I I want to bring in other people with other diverse life experiences and be like, what story do you want to tell? And then how can we fit that into the overall narrative? Because I really do think that that will that will make the whole experience better because because they they are going to approach the same big world shattering event in a completely different way because they just think about the world differently than I do. Here's how you're doing this better than Marvel is doing it. Because Marvel is Marvel is <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a straight white uh, male writers the same they're all in their 50s now Barry Michael Bendis Len, um uh, not Hickman anymore but a few different guys and they've started to play with the characters so uh instead Tony Stark is dead now sorry for the spoilers. Uh, they've got a young black girl who's becoming Ironheart, who's taken his place. Yeah. Um, Iron uh, Thor is now a woman. Yeah. Uh, they're doing all of these things to try and make their their universe more inclusive, which is great. But it's the same people writing these characters. Exactly. So the the opinions are like it's it's already been like in the subreddits I, I go to, people are already saying that character wouldn't talk like it's, that's exactly not their experience anymore. So I think the way you're doing it is is a lot more authentic. Yeah, and I read on a related note. I just have to say, I read this great article the other day um, about somebody who went to college for fashion and design, and they're like, "Marvel, fashion has advanced. Please stop drawing every <laughs> single female character in shirts that come right under their boobs and and pants that hang off of their hips. That was yeah. cool in the early '90s." It isn't cool anymore. Nobody dresses like that. I get that that's when you were a teenager and you still think that's the hottest look for a girl to have. But women have evolved and we don't necessarily dress for you anymore. And like that is that's a that's a silly little issue on one hand. But it's also reflective of the idea that like if you actually like kind of observed or like let other viewpoints into your small, tiny world yeah you might not keep doing the same thing over and over again maybe i don't yeah. know crazy thought uh, i think the problem with like professional comic book writing is it is a very small pool of people who have those jobs and they are not going to let them go right <laughs> like, exactly exactly like but they, they need i think they need to i think those guys should move on and do it like produce their own independent works with image or someone like that and they need to get uh different different viewpoints like what, what you're doing well, the thing is, is that people need to graduate up, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Brian Michael Bendis needs to graduate up and have somebody else come in to be the new Marvel head of story who sets the pace and does the thing. And then when they come up against a problem that they don't understand, they can go to Bendis and be like, how do you wrangle, how, how do you wrangle the writers on the, on the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy comic, that team is a bunch of assholes, and he's like, "Yeah, let me tell you how to deal with them." Like that's the sort of thing where like his experience and whatnot, and he like he needs to graduate and let somebody else take his spot, and that that is that is a long term goal of mine. I just kind of need to get everything actually like happening first because yeah. nobody else but me has a published book in the world, right? But that is that is something that I think is is sort of missing is a a graduation system a, a sort of social mobility within the arts culture and i also think that we don't apprentice anymore i think that um i think that every artist should apprentice and that is like not that they're going to like be my apprentices but everybody who i bring into legacy and and publish their books and whatnot 
I want to I want to offer that sort of sort of guidance on because like I have a I have a ton of advantages and privileges as you know like as a straight white dude and that like the, those advantages and privileges have enabled me to learn things that other people can't even necessarily learn they gave me all my opportunities with um you know with marketing and publishing and meeting people and making contacts I need to pass those on. I need to take, you know, my creators who are who are not the the same races, gender, sexualities as me and pass on those the what I've learned and also my contacts. Be like, "Hey, this is my this is my friend, you know, Joe Blow and he's great and you should totally advertise his books as well." Like that 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 sort of thing. And and mm. I just don't see that happening in the traditional industry very often. Yeah. So um just sure. before, sorry, Luke, uh, to, to flip it on this head a little bit, is there a part of you that worries about, I know obviously bringing other writers in and, and diversifying the world that you've created is has its advantages, but is there a part of you that worries about someone going in a direction that maybe you hadn't foreseen that you might not necessarily as a creator who built this world might not like? Is there a part of you that has any reservations in that aspect? I mean, you know, they're not allowed to have a meteor come out of nowhere and destroy Underrealm, right? Like. <laughs> I have creative control, like to that degree. Um, mm. If they, but you know, I, I have purposely left a lot of the world of Underrealm kind of unexplored. I've I've made some broad generalizations and and said this: th these are the things that are generally true about this kingdom or that kingdom or the other kingdom. But I haven't really. I I want them to explore. If somebody wants to. I mean, I'm not going to have I'm not going to have a problem if somebody wants to create a society uh, that with with uh, with, you know, sexual uh, norms or uh, or or ideas about things that aren't my, my idea that 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 aren't my ideas. Like, that's kind of the point. I'm trying to create a world. Um, so so one big thing about Underrealm, just as an example. Bigotry just doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. Um, there, there is no racism. There is no sexism. There is no transphobia. There is no nothing. Um, th th that sort of stuff just doesn't exist. Now, I still accidentally like sort of let things slip. Um, somebody pointed out to me one time, you know, I like what you're doing with Underrealm, but I can tell before I even knew who you were or met you, I could tell the book was written by a white dude. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Cause I'm trying not to have racism be a thing. And they were like, no, no, no. I, I, I see what you're doing here, but here's why is you only described people's skin colors when they weren't white. I was like, oh shit. Dang. Never thought of that. So then that was a thing that I thought of. And I, I, I actually went back and fixed Nightblade, you know, to, to incorporate that. And then I, 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 that was a thing that I thought, so stuff like that sneaks in. Um, but in general, I am trying to imagine this, um, it's not a utopian society by any means. There's still, there's still class. There's still this, there's still that, there's still war conflict. Um, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just positing this idea that a human society could exist where it doesn't matter the color of your skin or what dangles or doesn't between your legs or how you choose to identify yourself. And so, like, people aren't allowed to violate that because that's the point, right? Like, that is the whole point of, of the thing. And if, if they don't, if they don't get that, then we just need to have a conversation in, un, until they do. And if they want to create a fantasy story, like, like nobody who comes to write a book series in Underrealm for Legacy Books is like precluded from doing their own stuff. We're not like hiring them as staff writers and we own everything they create. We're literally hiring them like, okay, here's your story and you're going to create it and it exists in, in Underrealm and it kind of like follows the, the, the bare minimum rules. But within that, I'm trying to give them as much creative freedom to, to tell the sort of stories that I wouldn't even think to tell. You know what I mean? Mm, in other yeah. words, let me, let me summarize it this way. Underrealm is not a place to tell your story of overcoming transphobia, let's say. That just, it, it's not the right place to tell that story. It is instead the place to tell a story where a trans person just is and exists and lives their life and to, and to assist trans people that way by just being like, yo, not every, like, 
those stories those stories are, are are totally fine but like not every story about trans people has to be about them overcoming it there can be stories where they are just people just like everybody else and 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 everyone recognizes that and i i hope that's hopeful you know so so there you go cool um i haven't got my uh recording timer thing that i usually use on skype so i have no idea how long i've been recording for <laughs> i think it's been about 50 minutes okay cool um we should probably nudge towards the end then uh, i mean one thing i really wanted to mention to to the listeners more than anything is that your patreon you, you started to do i think called writer wednesdays which i've signed up for it's five dollars i'm really excited about it it's uh it's very cool so every wednesday you uh discuss uh a writing topic or um and writing and publishing even yeah yeah so so i i alluded to it briefly earlier but i am trying to make it a series where I address people's specific and individual concerns. So, for example, um, recently, uh, the, the video that came out just yesterday, my Writer Wednesday video, is answering a specific question. Uh, one of the people who watches Writer Wednesday is like, like, I want to absorb what a bunch of different people are doing and, and like find what's best for me. And I turned that into a video about how to learn how to write. And it is basically my, my primer on you can you can go and you can read write on writing by Stephen King and 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 still not learn how to write right mm-hmm. um and so i think that i think that a lot of people uh place too much stock in certain ways of learning how to do things whether it's writing or indie publishing and so i made a video on like you need to approach all of your learning from this angle and that was that was this that is the sort of thing that i want to keep doing um, in the videos is to like make things that address specific things that the viewers are going through. I'm really excited about it. It's almost like, I, lo- I love the level of interactivity with it. Um, it's sort of like having a, a mentorship. Um, I hope you don't mind me saying that, but I feel like, no, you're no, I like it. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and it, it just seems very cool. And if people are out there and they want to, you know, not just listen to the same old podcasts, not just watch the same old videos, read some old books, but have someone you can interact with, uh, in such a, not a personal way, but the Patreon aren't massive, aren't they? So you've got as like a smaller uh, class set, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, trying to keep things sort of manageable so that I can give people like individual attention. And you know, w- one thing that I was really hesitant on 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 doing it is basically sort of uh, putting it behind a paywall. Um, mm-hmm. And what really sort of swayed me was that I already had people supporting me on Patreon for five dollars or more, and I wasn't doing enough for them. Like a lot of them came and supported my YouTube channel because they liked my content about writing. And I still produce content about writing. But like if people literally are supporting me because of that, like I felt like I wasn't I felt like I wasn't delivering enough uh in in exchange for their support. And that's sort of like the that's sort of the thinking behind it. And so yeah, I, I really do wanna wanna help people um, I don't just want it to be like more instruction. I want to be like, dude, are you a successful writer yet? No. Okay. Why not? And here's how to fix it. Like that is literally yeah. what I want Writer Wednesday to be. Yeah, it definitely I mean, does feel a lot more like you're able to just reach through the screen and just grab hold of the person. Because like you were saying earlier, it's a case of, especially in these situations, I'd rather speak one on one with a person. Yeah. Or then then speak to just a room full of people who's, you know, well, I guess I'd, I'd speak to a room full of people, but people kind of that you can't see that you can't relate to. So like you say, if you already got people that are supporting you, it just makes complete sense to give them that extra and direct your conversation to them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dan, so we, we are coming towards the end. Is there anything you wanted to ask Garrett before we wrap up and do the quick fire round uh, Garrett, i haven't told you about the quick fire round it's okay <laughs> yeah. uh no i think uh, one of the things just briefly was the fact that i mean i've kind of um your work came to my attention probably close to a year ago now and i keep an eye and i do follow regularly with the kind of stuff that you, you're doing not in a like stalker way um but you tend to give a, a lot of stuff away for free you tend to kind of your ethos seems to be give the people a lot more than they expect just really go above and beyond to give people that good customer experience you're yeah like, i was surprised when i signed up to your mailing list the amount of free stuff that you do give away right how, how does that work for you um I, I guess as an author model in i guess a lot of people wouldn't want to give a lot of stuff away in order to try and make stuff back that doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to them how does that work for you 
Yeah, I mean, it's good for it, it's good and it works for me. I think that people who uh, who are hesitant to give away like a free book for signing up for an email list or something like that, um, like an actual full book, are are for what I do. The business model, like it, it works as a business model, because I'm going to keep writing Underrealm books probably for the rest of my life. And when I'm done, there will be more Underrealm books. You know, so. If I give somebody the first or even the first two books for free, there are still uh, what six more books after that, and and another one coming out in you know like February. So I'm not worried that I'm not getting as much of their money as I possibly can. Uh, and the other thing too is that um, the thing that you have to watch out for in giving things uh, away for free. I've just changed this about my email list. So you you know, if you signed up for it, that when you sign up for my email list, you get a series of introductory emails that sort of t- teach you about the books and like where they are and where they come from and all that sort of thing, and like what, what the point is behind it. And then also introduce you to like the correct order to read them so that you can buy them all. Like I am trying to sell my books, right? Let's not, let's not pretend that that's not happening. Um, but I recently just changed my first introductory email and the, the, the change has been massive and great and wonderful. And I love the responses that I've been getting from people who sign up for it. My first email used to be, Hey, welcome to the list. Here's your free book that you asked for. I hope, you know, I can't, I'm so excited that you're here and I can't wait to see you in the next email. And then they'd get the next email and a certain number of people would unsubscribe. And like, it just wasn't really like getting like the response that I wanted. Um, my first email now says, hey, welcome. If you're reading this, it's because you wanted to get a free book. Here's your free book. There you go. Let's you and I be honest with each other. You're probably not going to read it. Everybody goes around and they get all these free books and they put them on their Kindle and they never they never read them. And you know what? If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm just saying that I really like people who like actually finish their books. So like if you actually if you're an actual reader, <laughs> And you read it and you write me, I've got all this cool stuff that I want to give you. But, like, you won't even think it's cool unless you're a reader. You'll only appreciate it if you're the type of person who actually reads books. So, like, so, you know, if you're, like, 90% of people, you're going to put it on your Kindle. You're going to read it sometime and sometimes never going to happen. That's fine. You're happy. Like, go on your way. You're great. But if you finish it, send me. And the amount of people who write me who are like, no, I'm, I'm a reader. I, 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 I'm such a reader. I like read your book in one sitting. So, so like (laughs) challenging people, you you know, you can, you can give people stuff for free without being in like propitiation about it. Like, oh, here, please read my book. Like you can challenge (laughs) people and be like, I've given it to you for free. Like, but are you just doing that? So, you know, I, basically challenging them. Are you just building your library? You know, like people who like fill their bookshelves just so they look like they read, but they never actually do challenge them on it and be like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to give you a free book. The least you could do is freaking read the thing, you know? So <laughs> I've now got an image in my head. If you just picking up one of your books, just in the middle of a hall, just you and one reader and just going, this is one of my books, just handing it gently over and walking away. Going, it's up to you. I don't care. <laughs> I do not care. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, that that that's sort of the business model, and, and and it is a little bit of like you know, any good drug dealer knows you give them the first sample for free, and they yeah. if and if it's good stuff, they will keep coming back. It's a much more friendlier approach than like you say that very kind of aggressive. Here's my book. Read yeah. this. Read this. Because I've signed up for a few lists where I'll get an email every day for the first two weeks of now I do this and I've also got this and I've also got this and I'm like, come on guy, give me a chance. Bugger off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Gary, before we finish up, I just want to say thanks for coming on. Sorry for the Skype issues. Oh, no problem. Um, but <laughs> I really appreciate it. I think you're, I mean, I remember emailing you a while back because you, you're a big inspiration to me and, and stuff I want to do. Um, and I think possibly the same for, for Daniel as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you're you're constantly publishing, you're constantly building, and uh, you're building a a legacy um, publishing ah, empire. Like legacy. I said. Um, <laughs> it's 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 good to see, man. It's really inspirational. So thank you for that. Um, but now, are you ready for the quick fire round? Quickly, please. I I I'm not. But isn't that the point? Yeah. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna throw some questions at you, and you've got like five seconds to answer them. Okay. Oh God. Oh God. 
<laughs> I'm not good at this. I'm just saying. The, the, Here we go. The look of terror on our guests' faces when we tell them that they're going to do a quick fire round. <laughs> no okay. one's ever ready. Daniel, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll shoot first. Go for it. Cool. Tolkien or George R. R. Martin? Uh, Tolkien. Tolkien, Tolkien, Tolkien. Beer or wine? Uh, beer. Indiana Jones or James Bond? Indiana Jones? Favorite book? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Favorite word? Uh, quixotic. Love that word. Love nice. it. Uh, Never get to use it. Favorite liquid? <laughs> beer. <laughs> oh, alcoholic. See. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Twitter or Facebook? Ooh, Twitter, but Facebook for advertising. Spirit writer. Spirit writer? Mm, like spirit, like a uh, spirit like animal. Spirit animal. Oh, talking, yeah. talking, definitely talking. Final meal. Steak and sushi. What is your battle cry? Uh, <laughs> I would not. I would not enjoy myself going into battle. I'd be running forward. To, oh no! Uh, read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, so this is the point where we start recording. I don't. I still don't have to end these shows. We got. We got uh, the links. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Gary, do you anywhere you want to send people to? Yeah, uh, I have a personal website. If you care more about, like, my YouTube stuff and, and my, my stuff about writing and fantasy as opposed to the actual books. Uh, so that's Garrett, two R's, two T's, GarrettBRobinson.com. Um, if you actually like the books, if you, if you enjoy fantasy and you want to try the first book for free, uh, you should go to underrealm.net. Uh, that's two R's, under and realm, both words pushed together, dot net. You can find all the books there. You can, you can evaluate the different series, see which one's right for you and all that sort of stuff. Great. And, uh, Dan, where are we sending people to this week? Uh, I'll probably do a shout out to, um, we are now running competitions for the next theme for the other stories, which when this airs will currently be closed, but keep an eye out at the beginning of each new, uh, theme as we will be pitting two themes against each other. And you can vote for them live on our Facebook at facebook.com slash Hawk and Cleaver. Great. Okay. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Garrett. Thank you. We should end this with Garrett's blog. Bye. Bye. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories? Oh. And did you know? Every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute, day, Anyway. Toodle pip. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.